0: guess we're raised to think that there's a one size fits all standard of beauty um but the longer you live the more you realize that a that's incredibly shallow just to be wrapped up in how you look all the time um and b that there are some things that matter more than aesthetics
1: Eden and this is Keep the Mess, messy conversations with messy people, where we have conversations about how we relate to our bodies and go down whatever rabbit holes we find. I started this podcast because I'm a bit obsessed with this topic. I struggle with embodiment myself and wanted to learn about how other people live in and out of their bodies. I figured if I'm interested in these things, chances are that others are interested as well. So welcome, fellow obsessives. In this episode, I speak with my friend Chloe. This episode was recorded December 13, 2022, and it was the 13th interview I did. Even though I've known her for 13 years, I still had no idea what we would talk about, and we went into all sorts of surprising places. In this episode, we talk about appearance, ability, gender, and communication. Listening back to this conversation, I found myself getting uncomfortable as we talked about the desire to be attractive, useful, youthful. I think I wanted us to talk about these things in the quote unquote right way, instead of in the honest and messy way that people actually talk about things. Lastly, I want to remind people that just because I have someone on this podcast doesn't mean I agree with them in all matters, or even many. These episodes are not about facts or saying things perfectly, they are people's stories, their experiences, their processing. Connecting and communicating with ourselves and each other is a messy affair, so I ask for a listening ear. And some grace. All right here's my interview with Chloe. So how do you and I know each other?
0: We met in college. We were college roommates. Um, Never worked out exactly how it came about. Um, A mutual friend of ours lived on my floor and I think you also knew her and so we all ended up living together.
1: Yeah, it was y- both of your sophomore year, and I was a freshman.
0: Well, no, it couldn't have been that, because I didn't move into the like other, the upperclassmen dorms until my first junior year.
1: Mm, no, we're, I'm talking about the dorms. We were in the same dorm. At the same time? hmm For one year.
0: My memory is absolutely terrible. <laughs> um. Yeah, I I thought we didn't really
1: know each other until we moved in together. No, um, we met my freshman year, your sophomore year, and became friends somehow. Um, And then you invited me and two other friends home for spring break.
0: I remember that because I was dreading it the entire time. Um, my family was going through some things at mm. the time and I was like, oh my God, you're going to think we're all crazy. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I kind of wanted you guys along because I figured it would be a, um, like a buffer that mm. my family would behave if there was company. Mm. And for the most part, I think it went very well.
1: Yeah. Looking back, given your personality, it is a little interesting that you invited people home and it makes sense to me personality uh you like to have your own time in your own space that's true but looking back what I know now about how your parents were doing and I guess yeah as you said your whole family it makes a lot of sense that you would want some buffer
0: I figured that could easily backfire, that they wouldn't behave and then you guys would think, oh, my God, she's from a hot mess and um, is it contagious. But knowing what I know now, my family is normal in comparison. Okay, well, that might be a little too far, but uh, they're not that at all.
1: Um, yeah, I think what I remember from that was, one, it was very fun. Mm-hmm. Um. I think a family friend of mine died while I was on spring break. It was
0: very fun. I think a family friend died that seems like a little bit of a counter
1: I mean that sounds like me like I'm sort of paradoxical um yeah. or contradictory. It was very fun. I just remember it was also strange because. I was having this fun and then you know I learned that somebody died. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, I remember it very fondly and so then my sophomore year um you and our other friend were living together and then we was l-
0: another girl I only exactly vaguely remember.
1: Yeah, I don't th- you weren't you weren't friends, I think. With- oh, no. She drank wine on campus and I was horrified by the entire thing
0: <laughs> and quite, quite sure that at any moment we were going to get caught. And I say we were going to get caught. I wasn't drinking it at all, but like they would know that it had been in my presence mm. and that I can't it
1: too. So, yeah, you and I are both. We're both. Well, these. Mm, Kind of. We're law, like, we want, well, we both want to appear at least to be law-abiding citizens. We don't want to get into trouble. However, we're both pretty rebellious folk as well, like secretly rebellious. I mean, you did in the dark of night go and steal irises from a checkers so you know that's a secret and also <laughs> yeah the statue of limitations <laughs> on uh,
0: perennial theft is probably on
1: yeah but i think it says something important about Where about both of the line. us yeah
0: yeah How dare my roommate have alcohol, but stealing flowers from a public space is acceptable.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but I think I had the same thing when people... I think it was my birthday or someone's birthday, and someone brought Mike's lemonade, Mike's hard lemonade, and I just... I felt so stressed out, and looking back, I'm like, who the fuck cared? Like, really? Really? Everyone could see in the recycling that we were drinking on campus. Yep. So so
0: and I still remember, I don't know if it was my freshman or sophomore year, but we had um like a spring formal, a spring dance downtown, and they played the Lonely Island song I just had sex. And at the time I didn't realize it was a parody and I found the entire thing horrifying. And apparently so did the monitor or adult responsible for all of us. Because they cut it off in the middle of the song. And looking back, I find that hilarious. But at the time, I mean, we were so sheltered.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep. We've changed. We've changed a bit since then. Yep. Uh, um well bring us to our second my second question, which is how would you introduce yourself? What is important for others to know about you?
0: That always difficult. I mean, I know that by my early 30s I should have already prepared a 30-second elevator speech. Um but you can't just you can't just do one. You have mm. to have one for is this a business acquaintance who I would like them to hire me. Is this um, a potential friend is this a random stranger who doesn't need to know a thing about my life so i don't know i wouldn't introduce myself to you you already know me too well mm. um i guess i'd say in the broadest sense i am both in analytical and creative mm-hmm. um, i take things entirely too literally mm-hmm. I'm incredibly sarcastic um, I have a very no nonsense attitude uh to life in general. Mm-hmm. I'm not particularly emotive, although I am working on it um I was an English major in human resources. I spend three years, three months, and nineteen days in the air force. um I enjoy biking crafts uh, What else is there? Jobs, hobbies, people.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I like. You start with analytical and creative. And- because I
0: always find those two things completely juxtaposed. But the more I meet people, and the more I know about people, those two things, and uh, there you, you read books: left brain, right brain. Oh, you can be one, but not the mm. other. This is just not true.
1: Mm-hmm. And I would say that your creativity and your analytic nature go together.
0: I like order, yes. and in a lot of ways, my art is creating order out of many disparate parts, uh, small pieces of things. But if you combine a thousand of them, you you get something really interesting.
1: Yeah. So uh, when I first knew you, uh, I you know I learned that you made jewelry. I have a couple of pieces of your jewelry that I. Um, that I really love and I wear regularly. Yes, your your necklaces are good enough that a trans man will wear them. <laughs> um I don't know
0: what that says about them, but thank you.
1: I mean, it, I think it says, it's a mixture of what it says about uh, you and your creativity and also about who I am. Um, yeah. But, you know, <clears throat> so I, I knew about that. And then I remember at our college... You, you would make these cool designs out of what were they? They were these like wax sticks. Wiki sticks. Wiki sticks.
0: Yes. So our college had a competition three out of the four years uh, that I was there, but I won three times in a row, and then they stopped doing it. And I still, I still can't help but feel that that's either in part my fault or. I was so disappointed. I had already started my submission for that year. Um, typically they'd hand out wiki sticks, which for your listeners who don't know, shame on you. And also (laughs) they're small bits of, um, yarn covered in wax that stick Mm. to themselves. Um, and so you can make three dimensional models. Mm. Um, the first year I did like two kissy fish and then the second year was like carousel
1: yes it was
0: beautiful no i think it was the three dancers the second year and then the third year was the carousel um and then i was gonna do a pointillism like replica of of all that impressionist paint that that pointillism
1: painting where they're um
0: pick anything on the river um bright colors
1: do you mean the one that's in ferris bueller's day off
0: i have not seen that movie.
1: Yeah, I'm just, it might be the one that was in that movie, but um, I think it was on, it was on the water Um, and a bunch of people on grass.
0: Yeah, and fairly brightly colored. At Mm -hmm. least the grass is like this bright, vibrant green and trees and people sitting yeah, I was gonna do that. And then um like I kept expecting because it was a certain time of year, April or something like that, that they always had this competition. And the whole month passed, I'm like, oh my god, they should have started it by now. And I went and asked them they're like, Oh, we're not doing that this year. I and I never finished that project. I ended up just throwing it out right then and there, because I'm like, no, I've spent like a hundred hours and I'm not gonna spend a hundred more.
1: Mm. Anyway. Yeah, but again, like a very analytical type of artwork. And then the thing that you have been working on. Exacting. Exacting, yes. Yeah. And then the last thing that you've been working on, I mean, you work on a number of things, but I'm just looking at the piece that I have on my wall from you where you roll up the little pieces of paper.
0: Yeah, Yeah. time-consuming, lots of fun.
1: I was fascinated by what you said about how your artwork is creating order. Could you say more about that?
0: I like, if you haven't noticed yet, uh, when everything has a place and everything is in its place. It's just very incredibly satisfying. Mm. Um, You'd think that I would keep a cleaner house than I do. (laughs) But life gets in the way. Um, but I like the idea of small things that have no value on their own being combined to make something amazing. Mm. And when you take a really cheap medium like paper, no one expects anything with paper. Um, but you get a whole bunch of paper together, and you can do some really interesting things with it.
1: yeah, I notice both with beads and with the the, um, the pointillism, and then with the paper. It's all these little individual items.
0: Oh, and quilting, too, I yeah. think is the best example. Right, you you made team. a quilt
1: for me. Yep. What's that
0: say about me? You're, you're going to tie this in somehow.
1: Oh, well, I'm just, I'm curious. I'm curious because in many ways you're very much an individual. And so I just find it fascinating that um, all of your art has to do with, with singular items, individual items being combined with other items to make something, uh, to make a beautiful whole.
0: Yeah. I'm certainly no therapist, but something could be said for my need for inserting order on my surroundings like that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I had some lack of control. Uh, as a child, or or thought I did. Uh, and this is one way of um, creating order where there was none. Mm. I find it very cathartic. Almost all of my hobbies take uh, a phenomenal amount of time, more than any sane person would think is worth it. And um, you fall into a state sort of like meditation, where you do the same thing a thousand times in a row.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I find it beautiful to think about it as, as a meditation. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. And with the last piece that I did, um, the very large, it is well, uh, 360 Mm -hmm. hours, uh, and like thinking about the entire time, um, like the message behind it. I'm not particularly religious as you know, but, I did grow up in that environment and I still love the sound of the old hymns. Uh, and my favorite uh, from my childhood was, um, Whatever my lot that has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And at the beginning of COVID, when everything was just up, upturned, I liked the sentiment that whatever my lot, it's gonna be okay, it is well.
1: Mm. Yeah. That is a beautiful, beautiful hymn, and I. I don't know if this is just a. Just a, a rumor, but I've heard that, the author. Um, created that hymn, after he lost. I think maybe his wife and child. In a, a storm or something like that, uh, I believe that. He, uh, family yeah, members died.
0: Like, but something like that sounds, it sparks that wonder on um, that. I have somewhere in there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I think we'll probably get back to some of this stuff, but I'll move on to uh, the main question, which is how do you relate to your body? How have the different experiences you've had and the aspects of your life affected your body and your relationship to it? Hmm.
0: Where to start? I guess seeing myself as something of an artist, I like the way things look. And I would very much like it if my body looked a certain way.
1: Hmm.
0: But the older I get, the more I value function. I mean, ideally, you could have both. Ideally, your body would be both, like, aesthetically pleasing to other people, but then um, also incredibly functional. Just whatever you ask of it, it would do. Mm. Um, And for the most part, early 30s, um, I'm in excellent condition. Sure, I might only be able to run a mile and a half in, like, 13, 14 minutes. But... That's not that bad. Mm. Uh, I can bike as far as I want to. Um, I can do stairs. I don't hurt when I get up in the morning. So my relationship to my body is sort of one of I assume you will work until proven otherwise, mm. and in the meantime, well, let's try and work on on looking more attractive, more like what I think. I should look like, and I'm I'm getting used to the idea that that's never going to happen. Mm. But growing up, there's a stereotype, right? Um, everyone has to be um, five foot four, blonde, and have the physique of a high school volleyball player, um, trim, athletic, mm. with a little bit of power, cute, pixie-ish. Um, I just never really fit the mold, I guess. I've always seen myself as a little bit more of a, um, I have German and Dutch heritage as more of a little bit of a a Brunhilde sort of figure, Mm. Um, sturdy, dairy made, um, a a practical and and not for show, if that makes sense. Um, And when I was growing up, that was very counter to how I saw myself or how I wanted to see myself. But now that I'm an adult, Mm -hmm. (laughs) an adult uh i think i see myself a little bit more realistically um i'm never going to be small but that's okay (laughs) i remember we were moving into our uh apartment in college Mm. and we were moving up my uh giant chair
1: oh yeah that was a monster i absolutely
0: loved that chair um, but I just remember I had one end of it, and someone else had the other. I don't remember if it was you or uh, another friend of ours. Um, but someone set it down, and I'm like, "No, let's keep going. Let's do the other flight <laughs> of stairs." Um, and I didn't realize that just quite naturally, without doing any exercise, um, because my body is maybe a little bigger, I have a greater capacity for certain physical activity um and that was the first time i was like oh well maybe this is good for something maybe mm. maybe it can be uh, useful to me mm. yeah so i don't know a tug of war between function and aesthetics
1: yeah <laughs> yeah there's this um this interesting book called where did I, where have I put it? Uh, w- women who run with with wolves or run with the wolves. Um, and I don't actually think that I like the book, I'll be honest. Um, <laughs> but like overall, but there there are certain things that I've learned from it. And I remember there was a section where the writer talks about, you know, growing up with this idea of what a a body should look like specifically a female body and, you know, and she was just, she wasn't tall and thin. She was more sort of, um, I don't remember the exact language, but like, I think she used the word squat, like squat and like sturdy. Um, and, and, you know, she, she grew up around people who didn't look like her. And when she went, to her, I don't remember if it was a different country, but area of origin. She saw all these people who looked like her and realized, oh, I'm supposed to be this way. And having the build that I have means that I can do certain things that maybe someone of a different build can't do.
0: Right. I don't know. Uh, I guess we're raised to think that there's a one-size-fits-all standard of beauty. Um, but the longer you live, the more you realize that, A, that's incredibly shallow mm-hmm. just to be wrapped up in how you look all the time. Um, and B, that there are some things that matter more than aesthetics and function. I don't know, by the time I get to be 60 or 80 or 90, I'm just going to be glad to be alive and still standing and doing stairs. Mm-hmm. Um. The older you get, the less you worry about these things. Not that it goes away, of course. Um, I occasionally poke my flabby stomach and go, ugh, how could anyone love me? And then my mm. boyfriend goes, but oh, you have curves in all the right places. Mm. And I'm like, okay. Well, I guess I'll take an outside opinion.
1: Yeah, I remember talking to someone about about uh, what I'll call pudge. Um, and, and you know, the embarrassment around having pudge. And she said, what's really helped me is being a mother and how my child is really comforted by that. Really, like, and, and there was a time where she had um, been like exercising a lot, or I think just not eating enough and was just very, very like hard and taut. And her son was just a lot happier when she was eating. um, I believe the way she called it actually was eating more healthy Mm -hmm. and, and just allowing a little bit more, more roundness and just viewing her body in a very different way. And that's, I think some of what I'm hearing from you as well.
0: Yeah. The idea that um, being soft and squishy can be comforting to others. Um, I don't know that that ever changes how you relate to your own body because you're not soft and squishy to yourself, if that makes any sense. Mm. You don't get the benefits of hugging yourself when you're soft and squishy. Mm. Um, But other people seem to enjoy it. I got to say. The best hugs that I ever got, never will get, are from my mother. Um, and she is me in 30 years. Mm. Um, she is softer and squishier than I am. I love her. Don't let her ever hear this. Um, softer and squishier than I am. Uh, but that does make for the best hugs.
1: Mm. I I just noticed that even in saying it, you're saying, you know, don't don't let her ever listen to this as if it oh just
0: to know that she's sensitive about her weight as yeah. well um and i don't want her to think that i'm i'm judging if anything it's comforting
1: mm. yeah and i definitely remember i mean this is still true but i remember i think early on into our friendship i just always thought of you as this very um strong and solid person Mm. i remember biking with you and i'm not going to make that mistake again um (laughs) uh i remember that and just thinking man like chloe is a very strong person chloe's someone who i would want um you know not just for moves but also if there's, if there's danger stuff going on, <laughs> I probably want Chloe. <laughs> um, and, you know, now I I do, uh, I do go to the gym and I do box, but I just don't naturally have the strength that you do. I have to work a lot for it and, um I think it's interesting to just think about
0: I need to disabuse your listeners of any notion that I'm some kind of bodybuilder or no. my body weight. Um I honestly struggle doing 20 push-ups uh at a time. So it's yeah, especially as I get older, you lose more and more of that. Mm. And then there's always people who are stronger. Um I remember that when we were in college, um for my J term I went to Australia. And biked for, what was it, 12 days, Mm. six hundred miles around Adelaide. Um, And the hills just killed me. And I had been training for two, three months at that point. Um, But I was out with a whole bunch of other 20-year-olds, a lot of them guys. And uh, there's just a different standard. Mm. Um, Sometimes it's painfully obvious the differences between genders and you're trying to keep up on a bicycle with Mm. a 20-year-old who has nothing but time and energy, Um, it's a little demoralizing. Mm. Um, Think of yourself as someone who's strong, and then you realize that you're only strong in the context of other people, Mm. of your age and gender, who are just like you or smaller than you. Mm. And, I mean, I've come up against that a lot. Um, Basic training for the Air Force. Um, I knew that going in, running would be my downfall. I hate running. Running is painful and terrible, and no one should ever do it, ever. Um, But every other day, every other day, they would run us for a half hour, um, and I got quite a bit better. But you realize that the standards are just different um for the gender set for the age groups thank goodness Mm. um i no longer have to run the same pace as uh an 18 year old Uh, and the older i get the more i appreciate that that they take that into account Mm. Um, but the strength building days literally brought me to tears pyramid push-ups i still remember you do one push-up you roll over you put your arms above your head you roll back over two more push-ups And then two more arm lifts above your head, flipping back and forth until you get to eight. And when you say eight, eight push-ups doesn't sound like a lot, but because it's incremental and multiplying, by the time you get to eight, you've done, please don't correct me on the math, it's um, one to the power of seven or something. I I don't know how math works. But you've done something like 60 already. Uh, and 60 push-ups is a lot of push-ups. And then you're only halfway there. You have to go back down again. Seven more push-ups, six more push-ups, five more push-ups. And when you can't, when you can't, they yell at you. Like, why mm-hmm. aren't you? As if it's a choice. As if you're lazily just choosing not to do the next push-up. Mm-hmm. When, in fact, you know you, you can't. There's nothing left. Um, that was tough. That changes the way you view
1: yourself a learning experience yeah yeah I had a number of things going through my mind as you were talking and you know one was definitely when I think about um you know the idea of hormones and you know knowing that the amount of muscle build up that I can do now uh is just a lot less than if I were on hormones Um, and knowing or at least guessing that even if I were on hormones, it would probably be less than, you know, someone who, you know, is male bodied. Um, And even if I was male bodied, I would be more like my family members, right? And, um, you know, men in my family weren't particularly muscular folk. Um, and so there's, yeah, as you said, like, there's always going to be someone above you. Yeah. And And you're
0: always going to hit limits. Like your body has a finite capacity. Um, and of course you can expand that with exercise. Um there's amazing stories of people who spend all day in the gym get absolutely ripped um and do these fantastic feats of strength but I do believe that most people have a limit built in mm. um they cannot exceed without tremendous effort um and more and more I'm getting used to the idea that that I have limits. Mm. This is a bad thing. It is what it is. But going back to a body should be both functional and aesthetic. You get to define your own function. Um, Mm. If I said that I'm a runner, I would feel terrible about myself because I'd be a terrible runner. Mm. Uh, But if I say that my function is to bike long distances, well, then I guess I'm doing more of what I was built for. Um, Mm. How you define your own context matters. Or your own function matters. Mm. And then I guess the big question is, what do you think your function is? Mm
1: -hmm. What do you think your function is? I was hoping you wouldn't ask that. See? You can't just give me a question like that. Just hanging in the air. (laughs) I don't know. It's something I'm
0: struggling with. I don't know that. Your function, of course, isn't wrapped up entirely in what your body is capable of doing. I mean, you do have minds too, you know, um, and so your function could be um, teaching or nurturing others or um, processing large sums of data, being a financial manager. There's any number of ways you could define yourself that aren't purely physical. Um, I don't know. I guess I've been thinking a bit about it lately because it's come up with my partner. Um, whether or not to have children. Mm. And if I had been born 15 years ago, I guess a lot of society would say that my function would be to have children. Mm. Um, and not, without them, I am somehow incomplete or not living up to my potential. And even these days, I mean, you still get answer from people. Oh, when are you having kids? Not if or do you want to, but uh, it's assumed that you will. Mm. Um, My family's used to it because I've grown up knowing that I don't want to be a mother. It's just not that I have anything against it, not that it isn't the right choice for a lot of other people. It's just not something that I've ever wanted. Mm. Uh, My family's used to it, but how do I explain that? to my boyfriend's family. Mm. I mean, he wants kids. They want kids for him. Everyone agrees he'd be a fantastic father. Uh, And then he went and picked me. Mm. So, I don't know. What do you think my function is? Hmm.
1: Mm. Yeah, I was thinking, uh, although this will probably... Be released in spring or early summer uh, right now in you know in my religious tradition it's Advent season which are um, times of preparing for uh, Jesus returning and it's the weeks coming up to Christmas and I've been doing this Bible study of Advent readings with people at my church and something that came up was, man there's there's all these stories about women who are barren or yeah having some some problem and then being able to have children
0: That's the only problem they ever encountered in historical times. Mm.
1: yeah, and you know during those times, that was their main function, right. Was yeah. to have a child specifically have a boy um who can carry along the family line.
0: Yep. Yeah. Not a great help in
1: <laughs> this day and
0: age. Yeah. Unless you see something in it that I'm missing.
1: No, I mean, I think it's just, you know, these many of these are stories that, you know, that have great meaning and especially with, you know. Christ's birth, that's very important um, in terms of belief and and things like that. But I think it was very helpful for the question to be raised. I hadn't really thought about. Yeah, it it's difficult to think about that that was the role of all these women, and that's there's not all that much more that that's going on with women in the Bible. And so I I think something can be, yeah, there can be difficulty with something that is religiously important.
0: I will say the story of Esther is then peculiar Mm. because no mention was ever made of her having children. No, no one was ever like, when are you gonna, uh, how many are you gonna have? Mm. She did great things. Yeah. Maybe I'm missing something. The Bible is used on genealogies, so I'd be surprised if she had kids if they weren't listed.
1: Yeah, I mean there there are a few women who are mentioned in the Bible who um their ability to have children or the children they have are utterly unimportant and what they do specifically I think in politically is important. So you have Esther um, you have, I believe, Deborah, and I can't remember her name. But there's a woman who uh, smashes a, a tent pe- a tent pike, like spike, through someone's head. So there's oh, those yeah. women, and there's of a, a, of course, Rahab, who was um, a sex worker who uh, made sure that the spies. Uh, got away, so, yeah, yeah. So there are stories. They're just most of them are about women who are are pregnant. Um,
0: who was the one who washed Jesus's feet with her hair? Um,
1: you know that's is it Mary, Mary
0: Magdalene, or something like that.
1: So there, I think there are debates about that. Um, it is a Mary. Uh, I think a lot of people believe that it's Mary Magdalene, and I, I think there's a good case for that. But mm. yeah, that person like we never we never hear about children or not having children.
0: Well, I mean, according to Dan Brown, she totally did, and it was Jesus's baby. And there's a whole line and a secret cult and uh, stairs under the Vatican or something like that. <laughs> but Not canonical?
1: <laughs>
0: not
1: not canonical. Um and yeah. not even apocryphal from the time. Um right. but anyway, it is I remember when More that was a I remember when that was like just a huge thing that um churches were getting upset about was that movie, <laughs> which I'm like, that is a ridiculous movie. Um I think people can Ooh, tell. Definitely. Yeah. Um anyway, yeah, talking about function and And the functions that are expected from you and then the, you know, what you, what the people who love you expect from you and what you expect from yourself. Yeah, I, a little earlier you were talking about knowing that, you know, one day you'll just sort of be (laughs) uh, just okay with being alive. Oh, yeah. And being mm-hmm. able to walk stairs and, you know, how your your mother is you in in 30 years. Um, yeah, when you think in all this talk about function, how do you feel about when you might not be, quote unquote, useful?
0: That's a tough one. Yep. I think in a lot of ways it's not it's not so bad because people do expect less and less of you. Even if you look at the Air Force standards, uh, they recently broke it into five-year age groups. So you have uh, like the 18 to 25, I think, and then 25 to 30, 30 to 35. And every five years that passes, your perceived abilities drop Mm -hmm. by a good bit. To the point where at 31, all that's expected of me is something like – 17 push ups, and I got to run a mile in less than 18 minutes. Which, if you stop and think about it, 18 minutes is a brisk walking jog. Mm. Um, and so, I think as I get older, I'll expect less of myself. Mm. And society will certainly expect less of me so that I don't know that I'll ever run into the situation again where I can't meet expectations. I mean, I still get carded in bars. Honestly, for (laughs) 30, I'm doing just fine. Um, I think I'm always going to meet expectations. But you never stop worrying about that. Mm. Or at least I don't. Mm -hmm. I'm always worried about disappointing people, somehow failing in some way.
1: Mm.
0: I worry more, honestly, about getting old and not my body failing, but my mind Mm -hmm. being trapped
1: yeah i'm i was talking to someone else doing another interview for this podcast and we talked a bit about viewing the mind as the the sort of end-all be-all and yeah what happens when you you view the world that way you view worth that way and then um there are all different kinds of minds and Even if maybe you started with uh, what we would call, you know, an acceptable mind um, or even a very intelligent sort of person. Um, And then you start to lose that either, you know, for whatever reason, uh, accident or, yeah, dementia of some sort. Um, Lack
0: of use, honestly, in most cases. Mm. A mind is a terrible thing to waste.
1: Yeah. So it makes sense to me that that would be a a fear, fear of like most people, like a lot of people's fear. And, you know, for you, a fear.
0: you wrong. This does not consume my every waking moment, um, the impending (laughs) decay, my own mortality.
1: (laughs) Um, The things that only come up in conversation with you, dear. Well, that's that's me. I'm your religion, uh, death, and sex. Religion, death, and sex. Um, Yes, yes, that's true. Our our conversations tend to get fairly dark, and then we say we should talk about something (laughs) brighter.
0: Anime or whatever books we're reading.
1: Yeah, yeah. Is this a topic that you are all right with continuing, or would you rather we go in a different direction? Yeah.
0: Sure. I um, don't What else is there to say? I'll get old. I'll get ugly. Hopefully my significant other will still love me. I have it on good authority. He, he claims he will. So we'll see. Um, and like all old people, I'll become less and less relevant. People will pay less and less attention to me.
1: Mm.
0: Mm. Is how I assume it works, mm. but never having been old, I don't know.
1: I mean, certainly, certainly, in the society that we live in, aging is not looked on well. Right we oh, we we try to look as young as we can for as long as we can. Um, you even said, oh, I still get carded. So I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty well for being in my thirties. Um, and, and you saying, well, when I get old, I'll become ugly, which isn't necessarily true. You just have a, you just look different than you did when you were younger. True. Um, so I say it
0: rather tongue in cheek. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hmm
1: but i as i was listening to you talk i thought you know part of me was like man this is such a um a a rather despairing look on aging and then i thought well unfortunately i think in many ways this is the way um not just that it's viewed but the way a lot of people i think experience it um you know, growing. Very rarely
0: do you talk to anyone older and they go, oh, thank God I have my 20 and 30s behind me. Uh, maybe they'll say it in the context of I used to make bad choices, but I know better now. Um, but no one ever says, oh, my joints. I love the way they crackle when I get up in the morning or, oh, my back. Um, <laughs> I remember the days when I used to not bend over and feel pain. Thank goodness I'm past all that. Um, very rarely do talk people talk about physically aging in a good in a good way, as if there's any benefit to it.
1: Mm. You know, I I really wonder about that. I, I mean, I I doubt that you know people talk positively about having aches and pains. Um, or or declines in any area, but I I'd be curious. I know for me, and you know, I'm only thirty, but I'm super glad to have my twenties behind me. I have no interest in being twenty again.
0: But was it because of the state of your body at the time, or was it because of the circumstances around you? I mean, um, if you could be one of those time travelers where nothing changes around you, but you travel within your own life, um, like the, um, what was it called? The time traveler's wife, mm. uh, for instance, where he goes back and forth along his own timeline. Are you honestly saying that you wouldn't prefer to have, well, this might be a different question for you, um, mm. with the body you had 10 years ago?
1: Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, obviously, yeah, it is, it is complicated with me with, with gender stuff, but, um, yeah, I mean, 10 years ago I weighed less, um, and yeah, looked younger, of course. I like the one thing
0: that improves from your twenties to your thirties is typically your complexion that like you've, put all of the acne behind you and finally you have like a rosy glowing space for the most part
1: for most people yeah
0: there's always still bad days that's the only thing i can think of that improves from 20 to 30 Mm. Mm. confidence but again that's not necessarily a physical thing that is your context you realize that you have more options than you ever thought you did that people care less than you thought they did
1: Mm.
0: um you grow into yourself
1: i think the time like having the time and living more life is important but you know if you could take if you could take, you know, everything that you know and confidence and just um emotional intelligence, like if you could take that with you back to when you were you know, what people would call your peak physically, mm-hmm. I wonder. Uh, and yet I also wonder I think that I think that there are things that you learn emotionally And in terms of thinking about mortality and things like that, that you, I wonder if you would learn that if you had a certain amount of youth and, um, I don't know, it's curious.
0: It's certainly a curious conversation for us to be having in our early 30s. Um, I certainly won't tell you how to do your podcast here, but at some point you really should get, an octogenarian in to discuss how, yes, please, if you
1: know any. No, I was, I was thinking that, um, yeah, I mean, I, I do talk to people who are a little older, but, um, yeah, I haven't had anyone who's over 60. So that, that is something that is worth talking about. Um, hmm. yeah, well, um, earlier, you know, you were talking about how, you know, about function, and how you felt like it should balance with aesthetics. And that, obviously, that's something, well, obvious from this conversation, that's something that you still think about is the aesthetics.
0: I it's part not to. Um, I won't say that's a purely gendered thing, but I mean, You'll have to admit that women are put under quite a bit of a pressure to look a certain way. And you find it doesn't, doesn't always matter. You can decide not to. There have been studies. Forgive me if I don't say who or what school they were attached to. Or the That's fine. Or anything like that, but there were studies where um, people who are attractive do get more benefits uh, throughout their lives uh, an easier time finding a job, uh, an easier time finding a mate. People think that they're more trustworthy. Uh, that, look at Disney. I mean, princesses are attractive, mm. ugly witches are ugly. That's how you know they're evil. Mm. Um, Life is easier when you're beautiful. Um, Which isn't to say that it's hard if you're not. It's just you don't get some of those perks. Mm.
1: You don't get some of those privileges.
0: Right. Privilege is a good word to use.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm just also thinking... Well, I think that there are certain things that, that may be... Uh, I'm looking for a word and I can't find it, but that many cultures dislike physically. There's a number of things that... Taboos? Uh, Sorry, no, I don't mean taboos. I mean, there's certain physical characteristics that many cultures think are uh, ugly. However, I think that you know, there, there's, there is quite a bit of change country to country or culture to culture about what is viewed as attractive.
0: Oh, like most cultures think that morbid obesity is unattractive, that getting old is unattractive. But if you ask them to define in the positive, okay, so if that is unattractive, what is, what does attractive look like? that um, they vary widely. And there was a good case in point where, um, Uh, There was a YouTube video where they gave uh, a a fairly plain average person's uh, headshot, uh, no makeup, no nothing, to different um, touch-up artists Mm -hmm. and said, make this person beautiful. And they picked one from a whole bunch of different countries. So you have one from the U.S. and Britain, um, um, Australia, Italy, um, the Middle East, Africa, South America, um, Pacific Island nations. What does, how would you change this person's appearance to make them look attractive? Um, And they had something like 20 different um, outputs. Mm. It was just so interesting to see how wildly different they were. Um, How much eye makeup? What color should the lips be? Uh, Does the face need to be wider or shorter or thinner? Um, What are you going to do to the nose? So, yeah, it's like lenses. It's like cultural lenses. Mm. If anything, that should be a comfort because chances are you're beautiful somewhere. Mm. Maybe not in your country, but you could be the the standard of beauty somewhere else.
1: Mm. Well, sort of taking it from the, the general and bringing it back to the personal, you know, how has that experience been for you?
0: Experience.
1: The experience of viewing your own body uh, as like on this sort of idea of what beauty is.
0: I've never thought of myself as particularly attractive because I've always compared myself to other people, mm-hmm. um, specifically my sister, who growing up was everything that I wanted to be. Um, Two inches shorter, so perfectly average, um, thin and athletic, uh, blue eyes instead of my muddy brownish green. Um, I always thought that I was less attractive, but I've gotten enough positive feedback, and I'm no great beauty, um, but that I, I am attractive enough. Not hideous. I don't know. Hmm. Um, sort of plain, cute, endearing, handsome, in a feminine way. Hmm. I don't know. It's awfully hard to describe yourself without even being conce- conceited or entirely too humble. Hmm.
1: Hmm. Yeah, well, there is such a mix of physicality and how you are, like, physicality and... and um uh, personality. And also just as you get to know someone, I feel like even, even if maybe initially I don't physically find the person attractive or, but let's just use the word for, um, you know, beautiful or handsome. I find that as I get to know the person more, that I really like the way that they look and the way they act fit together, like it so like they sort of become more of themselves, and that I can't really imagine them looking different.
0: Yeah, like I'm not just my body, but it's definitely a part of who I am. It's inseparable.
1: hmm I get that. Yeah, it's a holistic it's a holistic thing.
0: Yeah. Like um in 101 Dalmatians. Um, pongo is sitting there looking for the perfect mate for him and his partner and you see a a few people pass by and you realize that the women look exactly like their dogs Um, Mm. and the same way that there's this theory that dog owners look like their pets um you can tell something about a person's personality or how they interact with the world based Mm. on how they look and I don't know that it's true in every situation, but for some people, you hear them and then you see them. Not radio broadcasters. You see pictures of people you hear on the radio and, and it's always a shock to the system. They never look how they're supposed to look. Mm. But, yeah, sometimes people people's personalities do very much follow their form, I don't know. I don't know. I'm making all of this
1: mm. up as I go. Well, I just I find it interesting because um this is the only interview that I've done for this podcast where I can't see you because we just couldn't get the video to work. Um and so I think you can you can see me, but I can't see you. I uh, can. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um so it's it's interesting to have this conversation with a disembodied voice. Mm-hmm. Um I, I mean, we're talking about body and I'm using the word disembodied. Um, yeah. And fortunately, I know you really well. I know what you look like. I know what you look like when you use certain voices. Like, So I can imagine um, it would be very different if I didn't know you at all or or didn't know you very well. Um, yeah. Hmm. I could see
0: you. Different voices. We have to mm. talk about different voices. Um, I recently pointed out to my mother that she was doing phone voice. Mm-mm. Um, and she's like, oh my god, what do you what do you mean phone voice? And I'm like, the voice do you use on the mm. phone? She's like, that's how I always talk. Mm. No, no, it's not. Um, mm. I maintain that everyone has phone voice. Wow. Um, and I guarantee I'm doing some version of it right now. This probably isn't what it sound like on a day-to-day basis if we were just casually talking.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think we have all different types of voices, right? Um, right. Phone voice, guest voice. Um, I'm leaving a voicemail on my phone voice. I'm trying to impress this person voice. <laughs> I
0: know what I'm talking about,
1: voice. Yeah, and, you know, your voice and your body and the way that, the like, just how different it is depending on who you're talking to, what medium you're talking to them with. Like, is it in person? Is it on video? Is it on the phone? Um, and how how comfortable you are with this person? Situation. I mean, I'm not sure to admit that... Um, Um, If I'm
0: working with um, someone in the service industry, especially like men in a mechanical or repair function, if someone came to the house to replace a light bulb, I know how to replace light bulbs. That's a terrible example. Um, Fix a water heater. Mm. Or if I took my car for repair, I'm going to take this voice that's very much, oh, what are brakes? Please tell me more. You're going to fix that for, oh, how much is that going to cost? Oh my are you Well, okay. I guess, yeah, whatever you think best.
1: Mm. It's very
0: deferential. It's definitely in a higher octave. It's, it's more of a, I don't know what I'm talking about. So please, please take care of the situation for me. And Mm. I don't have to, I mean, they're in a service industry. they fix my brakes. Even if you said, Hey dude, want to fix my brakes? Yeah. So I have no idea why. You take on
1: a different voice. Well, I think it's because we know. We know. So they can't
0: judge my lack of knowledge because I'm playing to a stereotype. I'm exactly what they expect in that situation. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think also we probably have learned over time. Oh, this is the voice that will get me the treatment that I want in this situation.
0: I want to be treated like I'm helpless. I want to be taken care of right now.
1: Mm-hmm. And I mean, some people might look at that as, as um, like when you just hear it, oh, like that's manipulative. And I don't know, maybe feel icky about but it. But there
0: are I- people who would say, oh, that's manipulative, probably do it in some other context in some other way. Completely without realizing it.
1: Oh, yeah. We all. I mean, we all do that. I've definitely noticed this, you know, so, you know, being a, a trans man, but I also know that I look like and sound like a woman and it's interesting to me when I choose or maybe not choose, but like when I notice that I'm using a sort of deeper or sort of um more aggressive sounding voice as opposed to a deferential voice and and how even even as someone who views myself as a man how i find that higher pitched feminine sounding voice coming in when i'm in a situation where i i don't want to be hurt or mm-hmm. i want someone to help me and that that's yeah. a fascinating thing and i i think probably Most people have that and sort of depends. Because I've definitely, I remember when I was younger from the outside, uh, tended to view my sister as, you know, quote unquote, aggressive and me as deferential. But in certain cases, I remember if we were in like a situation where I didn't want someone to mess with us um, or like if I was on a bus or with a driver, I would use like a deeper and like stronger voice, and my sister would go up. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just fascinating.
0: Any specific instances
1: come to mind mm. of about voice
0: um situations in um, which you had to put on a face or adopt a character because you felt in some way threatened or uncomfortable.
1: Hmm. I mean, I would say that generally when I go out, I put on a face of like a, a flattened face. Mm. And and I generally am thinking like, don't don't mess with me. And I learned that as a very young child, um, living in a dangerous city. You don't you don't smile, you don't do these things. And I've learned to smile in America because people that's what is safe here to do is you want people to to not think you're a jerk. But um, well,
0: honestly, yeah, I I hate that. I don't. I think it was an airport, um, and I was sitting there sort of minding my own business, uh, and this is like something out of an SNL skit. The guy next to me was like, "Smile more, you'll get more out of life," mm. or or some other comment like that. Oh, and I was just doing, just fuming about it for the rest of the day because I was minding my own business. I wasn't particularly upset, Mm. but neither was I particularly happy. There's no reason my face should have had any expression. Mm. And so the idea that I should be somehow smiling all the time, regardless of context, is bizarre.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking about the fact that there is the title resting bitch face right it's a very gendered term
0: and i will admit that some people's faces in a resting state are far more less neutral and more aggressive more Mm. sneering more disdainful more as if they've spent their entire life pulling their nose up at the world Mm. Um, but that's not it shouldn't be mistaken for an intentional expression
1: yeah, I I think that it's a very useful phrase. I've certainly used it, and I, I don't tend to be for, like, trying to censor language or trying to just cut out language um, because there, there's obviously a reason that it came up. And but I think it's just you know to observe like how gendered that is, and and that it is viewed that like a a feminine face should look. More nurturing or kind or something like that is interesting to me,
0: in the same way that, like Karen is now such a mean label to apply, "Oh, you can't call me a Karen. I'm not a Karen." And yet, it's so descriptive of people who uh, would love to tell managers all about their thoughts and and how they're doing their jobs wrong. It really does describe a type. It's a useful stereotype. It's an accurate one in some cases.
1: And then there are those poor people who their name is Karen. (laughs) Those poor Karens. Uh,
0: Well, at least there's no stereotypes about our names.
1: About either of our names?
0: Yeah, as far as I know. Except perhaps that Chloe might be a California blonde with a, oh my God, let's go to the beach. Um, And I don't know that the Kardashians uh, have particularly helped. Or regardless how you spell it, Chloe is still a, a younger person's name.
1: Hmm.
0: Unless you know any other distinguished Chloe's that I have not heard of.
1: Nope.
0: Do you know of any other Eden's?
1: I mean, I I have met another Eden and I've heard of other Eden's, but I don't think there is a um specific personality out there that it's supposed to fit. Um, I mean, I know that the name means delight, at least um, E-D-E-N means delight. There are other spellings that mean other things. But, yeah, um, yeah, because it has to do with uh, um, the Garden of Eden, paradise, things like that. Um, But... Um, something that I, I've noticed that's come up in this conversation is, you know, we have talked about gender and, you know, you you use the word handsome and then you um, specifically, like, said in a feminine way.
0: Only because I remember for, from from a book. Um, I think it might have been Anne of Green Gables or possibly, like, Sarah Plain and Tall. Um one of those older quaint books where they still describe women as handsome. Uh, Mm. But now people use that less and less. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I, I guess this is something that we've talked about a bit before, but how, you know, what has your, your journey been with your gender? if, If there is such a journey,
0: a lot of my life has just been assumed. Um, it was assumed that I would go to college. And so we never much talked about it. Um, and in the same way, my gender has always been assumed, um, and not just by the world, but by myself. Mm. Um, I never had to think too deeply about it because I have always been female and I will always be female. It's just a given fact. It's just something that I know, um, I know that for a lot of my queer friends, um, it has been a struggle, something that you have to think deep and long and hard about. Um, but it's something that hasn't come up with a lot of my cis friends, just because, again, mm-hmm. it's an assumed fact. Uh, I had a friend down in Georgia. We used to go running together, and she and I talked about a great many things, and never did it occur to me to be like, So you're a woman. Tell me about that experience. How did you decide (laughs) that you were a woman? Um, Yeah, it's a conversation you never
1: have just because
0: you never have to.
1: Mm. Well, I think I'll reframe the question then. Um, How have you felt about who you are and the expectations? people have of what it means to be a woman
0: i live with the dichotomy or the the conundrum the conflict that i both um, want people around me to like me and be happy and also i don't give a flying leap what they think Um, it all depends on the day and so there is some playing to expectations there is some wanting to conform to those stereotypes I grew up with. But on the other hand, I see magazines of people wearing Balenciagas or um shoes, or I don't know, why are all the popular brand shoes? Um Beer um, Wang, that's close, I think. Um mm-hmm. I, I see what people think is hip and cool. And it just leaves me with this sense of disgust or disdain, but uh, I don't need that. Mm -hmm. That's not for me. Uh, That doesn't matter. Um, That's not the metric by which I define my success or attractiveness. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do think that's a little peculiar for women. Let me rephrase that. The vast majority of women that I know no matter whether or not they're attractive. Um, Don't go in for keeping up with the latest trends. Don't go in for buying very expensive things just as a showpiece. Um, Of course there are exceptions. But by and large, the women that I know are very practical and down to earth and buy what they need to from TJ Maxx or Amazon and don't care about labels. And so, this stereotype that you see most often on TV—the everyday impeccable, the um, Instagrammers, um, the people on Facebook who who to all of those stereotypes and, and subscribe to it, hook, line, and sinker—that hasn't been my typical experience. That seems like a separate world put on for show. I'll do what I can. I'm going out. I'll dress up. If I'm going to work, I will conform to expectations and wear slacks and a nice shirt. Um, But also, I'm not going to go too far out of my way to spend 120 bucks on makeup every day or pluck my eyebrows or get waxed in places I don't want to talk about. I think everyone has a limit of how far they're willing to go to fit in. Mm. And mine's a pretty low, pretty low bar. Mm. That answers your question?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's interesting cause you're talking all about presentation and clothing and yeah, I just, I think I find that a little curious. I think what you started out with was really interesting about how, what was it? You, you want people to like you, but you also don't give a flying flip <laughs> about them as well.
0: It's weird. I guess I don't want to offend everyone, anyone. I never want to get into a conflict. But whether people go home and talk about me behind my back matters less. hmm yeah, people are entitled to their opinion as long as I don't have to hear it. When it comes to me, that's not, oh, heavens, now I sound like an ass. Um, um, I care about what people tell me they think.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But there's no way I can care about what they think about in their own private time very far away from me. Mm,
1: you would be surprised. Um I know that I think about that all the time, even though it's utterly useless,
0: but why Eden but why
1: um it isn't rational, uh and it's something I can't do anything about. Hey
0: Eden, yeah, why are you irrational?
1: I feel like this this is uh definitely a part of our relationship <laughs> um is uh. I mean I know oh, especially back in college where it was like, "Eden, what are feelings?" Yes. <laughs> I mean, I know right now that you're you're, you know, joking. Of course, yes. But yeah, it it has some been something that you have grown in over time, but it's not your go-to to to understand that.
0: Yeah. The older I get, the more I'm coming to realize that when I was in my 20s, I mean, maybe I'd love to still have the body, but I'm glad I don't have the social graces, I guess you'd call them, of my early 20s.
1: Mm.
0: Even now, I was having a conversation with my mother the other day. Um, How do you define yourself to other people? And that should have been good practice for this conversation. And then, of course we we asked each other, "How would you define me to other people?" Mm. Um, you know, I have talked about my mother before. she's badass. That's not how she defines herself, of course. um, but she said she would define me she she used a lot of words, but one she used was aloof mm-hmm. um, And I can definitely see where that's true, but I can't imagine how much worse it was when I was younger. Mhm-. And a lot of that was an intentional. I, in a lot of ways, defined myself in opposition to my mother. And I saw her as Mm -hmm. incredibly emotional and driven by emotion to the point of not being rational. Uh, And I took after my dad a lot. That being rational was was the height of humanity. I, I don't know, that it was somehow better. That everyone should be A-B machines, where you put in an input and they react the same way every time. Mm -hmm. So in my late teens, mid-teens to early 20s, I very much wanted to be purely analytical, rational, leave all this emotion nonsense behind. <laughs> my role models were like Sheldon from the big bang theory and um um Brennan from Bones oh my uh, and looking back what was I thinking mm. yeah so if ever I've been cold you'll have to forgive me well you don't have to but I, I do hope.
1: I you. refuse to forgive you Our um friendship has ended <laughs> um yeah I I'm just thinking about you know you really wanted to be analytical but you know you you never could get rid of both that creative self and and your emotions I think especially your first what was it was it your first uh senior year I think. Or second junior year. It depends on how we're counting these things. Yeah, the, the year that your parents were... We'll say
0: four out of five. And that was, yeah. My
1: yeah. parents divorced
0: four out of five.
1: Yeah. I think that's when... That's when I started to see the emotional you, which was, of course, very painful.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, over time... I've come to realize that not all emotions are bad ones um, when you're a teen. Um, and certainly this is true for me I was maybe a little melodramatic and uh, that everything was terrible and just the worst and life is pain and suffering. And even looking back, I, I used to keep an anthology. I called it a uh, little snippets of all the things that I read. Um, Oh, and I pulled it up on the plane home from Thanksgiving and I was like, what is this? It's literally like verses from Lamentations and Dante's Inferno and like "Abandon hope all ye who enter here and and things like that. Life is meaningless and pointless and full of suffering. And yeah, I could see how when that's how you view the world, being a cold intellect would be preferable. Not mm. feeling would be like the, the better way to be. Uh, but of course, I mean, I grew out of my teens and realized that not all of life is pain and suffering and that there are some good parts too. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. For anyone who's still in their teens or early 20s or even their 30s and having a rough time of it, do remember that uh,
1: life isn't all doom and gloom.
0: Mm. And that no matter what your age is, it gets
1: better. I'm just thinking of the wonderful handwritten cards that you've sent me. um, That you've been sending me. Oh, I do like mail. Yeah. You've sent me, um, I have them all in a stack somewhere. I think they're they're either in this desk or they're in that closet. But, um, you know, during COVID slash, you know, which was also just, Happened to be the same time when I was having a lot of emotional upheaval um, you sent me all these wonderful, encouraging pieces of mail um that were that basically saying you know it gets better or you know there is hope out there and i've I've really appreciated that from you
0: mail and text and email in general, um, I love it because you can say whatever you want and you have the time to think it through. If it sounds stupid, you can erase it. And you don't have to be there watching a person's face when they read it. There are a lot of things that I have written in cards, not just to you, but to other people over the years that I would really struggle to say in person. Mm. Um, Yeah, the letters are easier. It doesn't mean that I mean it any less, or perhaps depending on how you think about it any more. I mean it at the time, and it's true. Mm. But don't ask me to say it again
1: in person. Yeah, I'm. I'm just thinking about, uh, you know, how different we are in terms of how we prefer to engage with other people. Because for me, you know, I it's so important for me to uh, to be able to read the other person. And oh, this so, must be driving you nuts. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, I've had enough phone calls with you, mm-hmm. um, that I you know I can do it. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it this is a stretch for me, which is okay. It's a learning experience. Um, that's what I tell myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the further that things get from in person, the less uh, it feels like the the less um of the 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 senses I have, you know, um and so with with email, you know, it's much harder for me to read what's going on um, or to be able to express what I'm feeling. And, and I've, you know, I have done a lot of emails in my, my life. I, there's a friend of mine who for the first few years of our friendship, it was predominantly email. It was really only email. So it's not that I don't know how to do it, but it does. um, It is hard for me. And then hearing You talk about how useful it is to engage in a text form. And and I think I can understand why, Um, as you say, you can think about these things. You can be analytical, right? And yet also with the cards specifically, it is such an embodied thing because you are physically, you know, you're choosing a card. You are, you know, using like you're hand writing these things. Um, and so it is a, a very personal touch to a written format.
0: That's true. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you've been in therapy where someone said, just write it all down, write a letter to the person, even if you've never send it. Mm. Um, there's something about writing down your thoughts. Um, and physically doing it, not just drafting a letter in your head um, that puts things in perspective Mm -hmm. or sort of organizes your thoughts. Yeah. So uh, anecdote um, case in point. Um, And I've told you this, I think before, but my significant other was on deployment. Uh, I ended up sending um, quite a few long cards Um. And, of course, nine months can't pass without there being some kind of relationship issue that mm. comes up or some kind of something that you really just got to talk about. Um, <laughs> I chose month six to send a long email being like, let's discuss this. Let's have this heart-to-heart. Here's where I am. Tell me all your thoughts and feelings. Mm. And, of course, he came back with, like, I'm on deployment. Like." Life is terrible. I Mm. don't have the emotional bandwidth to do this right now. And also, email probably isn't the best format Mm. for this year. Um, Which I was like, oh, duh. Huh. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll send you another long email apologizing. (laughs) It's just Oh, if only everyone loved long emails. If only all relationship matters could be settled in a long email chain. Mm. But I guess I'm peculiar that way.
1: I mean, there are certainly people who who really prefer uh, email or text format. Um, and I agree with you, like, um, you know, writing things down is helpful, even like I, I do that, even if um, that's not how I'm going to tell the information, I find it incredibly helpful to process it. Um, and I am a writer, right? That's actually my, when I think of myself creatively, I think of myself as a writer. So it it makes sense to me. And if it worked for both of you, perhaps it could be a way of doing that. Yeah. Mm.
0: Yeah. I mean, text was very important to us during that separation, mostly because it was all we had. Um, But I'm definitely more of a writer than he was. Um, Mm -hmm. Not that he can't. It's just I'm an English major. Words matter. How you use them. How many you use. How long they are. And I, I tend to be a little long-winded. Maybe go on and on a bit. But, yeah, without those letters, I mean, we wouldn't be where we are today. Um, <laughs> yeah. We've been dating for, what, 18 months? And he spent nine of those at sea? Uh, yeah. Yeah, without, without emails.
1: I'm, you know, this is the way that uh, not not emails or texts, but handwritten letters was the way that people used to um, keep in oh, contact. Oh, he still got a
0: good number. Uh, I think there were forty that I ended up sending, and each one uh, an impeccable work of art. Oh, the hun. the puns. So, okay, no, I don't want to tell all your listeners how weird I am. Never mind, if I said that. Um, <laughs> Okay. Well, I have to, um, so you can't just send letters. You can't just send 40 letters. They have to have a theme, right? Mm-hmm. Like, right. Um, but what's, what's a good theme? Animals, clearly endless puns, so many animal puns. Um, but how do you organize animals? Like what alphabetically, uh, chronologically, I went with chronologically. In order of their gestation period. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously possums take only 12 days to gestate. So the first one was, um, you're impossible. Uh, because we <laughs> had this little, you're impossible. Aww. You're highly unlikely. Um, yeah. And it went downhill from there or uphill, depending on how you view adorable. Um, uh, yeah, whatever floats your goat. Um, I'm awfully fond of you, my dear, and like little little baby deer. Um, it moose be love. Uh, yeah, yeah. Terrible.
1: Mm. Delightful.
0: Delightfully terrible.
1: Yeah, I I just remember. I mean, I'm. I, I, Listeners, you can't see me, but I'm, like, beaming, pretty much. Uh It's it's just really... Oh, you should see me.
0: No, I mean, you can't, you should, <laughs> but, um, yes, also beaming.
1: Yeah, it's, um, I remember, because for the longest time, you just weren't, you weren't interested in a long-term relationship. Oh, no,
0: because boys are stupid. Um, and they were for a good part of my teens and twenties, um, all of them without exception. And then I met my significant other and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, so this is love, huh? Cool.
1: Yeah. And I just remember thinking, you know, Chloe, Chloe's like, now we're going to be in a long-term relationship. That's just not. Chloe's
0: going to die alone.
1: Chloe's going to die alone. And then. And then you started dating this person and you were so just head over heels and you know and still are. Um and And in theory
0: always will be.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I think love goes through like different stages, but I mean my parents can be pretty adorable sometimes. So um <laughs> yeah, just uh just the delight. In watching that, and you know, in these like ridiculous, terrible, terrible puns um and all the the physical labor that went into them, you know which yep. matches your artwork style of like doing lots of doing things that take a long time, intricate
0: line work,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, it was good times, hmm. And it really encouraged me to spend time um, thinking about my person. Um, Because like out of sight, out of mind, it's kind of a very big concern. Mm. Uh, It's a way of showing love, taking time to explain that to a person in more than words. Hmm. (laughs) sorry i'm i'm looking at one and um it's uh there's no good puns for antelope except cantaloupe um and so i did one where
1: or did your aunt elope
0: well i mean i combined the only two antelope puns that they can't elope like they have to get married and uh, that they are cantaloupe. And so it's a picture of two cantaloupes with like legs and horns. And and one is proposing to the other. And then the other goes, I'm sorry, but I cantaloupe. Um, and I, I did not think this through until I got feedback from my significant other who was like, what are you trying to say? Like, you don't want to get married or? And I'm like, no. It's just a pun. It's just a pun about antelope. <laughs> I, uh, yeah.
1: I I think when we're done, I'm going to have you read all of the puns and use it as like an outro because I think it's delightful. <laughs> all 40 of them. All 40 of them. Um, okay.
0: Well, not all of them are puns. Some are visual puns, which don't translate particularly well. Naval guerrilla warfare. It's just a picture of guerrillas fighting on a boat.
1: Well, we'll we'll figure out a way. But okay. I think it's great. Um, well, yeah. As um, as we're heading towards sort of towards wrapping up, um, a question that I've started adding in is: Can you think of a time or or maybe this is just a general thing of yeah having a positive experience of your body or or what how do you like what positive things
0: um oh definitely swimming, swimming. um i never feel more comfortable in my own body than when i'm in a body of water because you're literally weightless I'm suspended and you can just like float on the surface. And like, this is great because one of the reasons I float is because half my body is made out of fat, which is very buoyant. I, was, <laughs> I took swimming in college. I took swimming in college and there was this, um, I don't know if he was like lacrosse or rugby, um, but he was just built, just solid muscle. And that poor man sank like a ton of bricks. Um, he would stroke, 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 he would kick, 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 and still he would almost drown himself every time Mm. crossing that pool. Um, Which is not to say apparently Olympic swimmers do it, but I don't know. I don't know how. Um, But yeah, floating. Floating. It's just so relaxing. And Mm. yeah, I'm never more present in my own body than when I'm in a body of water.
1: There's something very poetic about that.
0: A body of water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do like that. You know, it... No, I mean, it really sucks that you have to wear a swimming suit to be in a body of water, because that brings back all of those insecurities about what's hanging out and who can see what. Mm. But you forget about all of that when you're lying on your back, staring at the sky or the ceiling.
1: Mm. Yeah, I um So I go, I go to the Banya um in my city and for those who don't know uh the banya is a russian bathhouse um and uh there is such such a thing in my city and there's a part of it which is this salt pool and in the salt pool because it just has some salt you can very easily float um and my favorite thing to do is to lie on my back and just and there's like these three lights on the ceiling. And I just like to to be there. And it's there is something magical about that experience.
0: I do also like the feeling of my body moving through water. I mean, there's something very sensual about having mm. that contact with your skin um, and and the way mm. you literally move through the world. Um but yeah, I will say that floating is is much more pleasant because it requires so much
1: less energy. Mm. Mm. And then the last thing that I always do is I just ask if there's anything else that um you want to bring up or you want to want to say. Mm.
0: not on the recording but i have some news for you afterwards okay
1: okay so no more no more for for peoples no more for peoples okay well thank you thank you for doing this and taking the time out of your day and doing all the techno struggle for it
0: oh of course of course what are friends for
1: I just wanted to say that the thing that Chloe said to me after our interview ended was that she and her partner were getting engaged. And in fact, they are married now, which is a lot of fun. Um, So yeah, her and her partner just bought a house as well. So a bit has changed since the original interview. All right, well, as I said before, about to share some more of those silly postcard puns that she was talking about enjoy
0: there was a rabbit one it was some you're some bunny special you're utterly adorable mm-hmm. i hippopotamus you there was a northern fur seal one that was you have my seal of approval mm-hmm I made up an animal called a Lamalrus. It's like a llama walrus because again, I wanted to send him a letter and it didn't fit in the schedule of animals, so I literally invented one. But I'm like, well, okay, 80 days, Lamal. Lum- it looks it looks better when you spell it out. L L A M A L r-u-s but it's unpronounceable you you would Um,
1: create an animal just so that you can write mail to your boyfriend
0: i am gonna have to send you a picture of that because it's the dumbest thing even imagine a llama and a walrus
1: i can't stop imagining it